If you would grab a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, where we'll be spending the majority of our time in this part of our worship. Hebrews chapter 12. So good to see you this morning. Good to see we have a number of visitors. Thank you so much for being here. We're always glad to have visitors. We want you to feel welcome. We want to get to know you. We want to help you in any way we can. But most of all, thank you for being here to worship God with us. We appreciate you being here. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Hebrews 12 and verse 3, the text says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Hebrew writer has been encouraging Christians who appear to be considering giving up on Jesus. And he is trying to encourage them to remember how we need faith to keep living for God. I just imagine him as he pictures, I picture him and imagine him in this way as he is trying to reason with these people the way you would if someone was about to make a really terrible decision. And so you had an opportunity to talk with them one last time before they made that decision. What would you say to them? How long would the conversation take? Well, you, would, you may be on, on your knees before them, or, or you may plead with them, or you may yell, or you may cry. Just all of it is on the table because you know they're about to do something awful. And so the Hebrew Christians are considering leaving behind the Lord. And the Hebrew writer says, you need to understand that, that when you struggle especially with opposition and persecution, you are merely the latest in a long line of believers. And so in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he, he takes us through a survey of the great believers of the Bible, and he says, by faith, look at all the things that they did. And then at the head of that line, he says in verse 2, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You need to see that other people have gone through hard times too, and usually they're harder than the hard times we are going through. And so he then begins to appeal to them in the text that we have read to view the difficulty of persecution and living by faith as discipline from God. God is treating you the way we would treat our children. What I want to do with this text this morning is I want us to understand the point that he is making about discipline and persecution but I want to sort of reverse engineer this text. And I want to learn from what the Hebrew writer says about discipline of the Lord. And I want to talk about what that can mean for parents. I want to speak for a few minutes of parents and discipline. Because there is a lot in this text that teaches us about parents and their role and the expectations God has for parents 
as they raise their children. The first thing that I notice as I go through this text is that he teaches us that discipline springs from love. Look in verse 5 of Hebrews 12. In verse 5 he says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And, And look at the quote he makes here from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So he encourages us to see God's discipline as proof of his love rather than his displeasure or punishment because discipline springs from love. And so he says God is addressing you as sons in this text because what parent is there who won't discipline their child? The one who is disciplined is loved. Discipline springs from love. There is ownership in this text that because we're his sons, he treats us in a certain way. Verse 7 It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? What father doesn't help and correct and educate and challenge his children? This comes with the territory of parental love, he is saying. And when God does it to you, you shouldn't be surprised because God is treating you as if he is your father and you are his children. Verse 8. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. See, a child that is left alone, a child that is undisciplined, is a child that has no real connection to a parent. And they are not blessed by that. There is a lack of love for them. It's shown in the lack of discipline. And I want us to just chew on this idea for a minute, that discipline springs from love. I I think you're familiar with the texts in Proverbs that talk about parenting, but I want to show you a few of them just because they reinforce so clearly this idea. This is Proverbs 13 and verse 24, which says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. When we spare the rod, we hate our children. Love, though, leads to discipline. That's the connection. Discipline springs from love. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of the rod here. The rod is a symbol for that discipline. It is a symbol of authority. It is the word that's used in Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 23, where David talks about the Lord is my shepherd, and he talks about his rod and his staff. Or it is also a warning that's given to David that he'll discipline his son with the rod of men. God says at one point, Assyria is the rod of my anger. It is a symbol for discipline or a symbol for a strong authority. And so he is saying here, if we spare discipline, we hate. But if we do love, then we're going to discipline. This is Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Leaving a child to himself is not good for him. He brings shame. That's not just he'll embarrass you. That's not the idea. The idea is he will make such awful decisions that it will bring shame to him and to everyone associated with him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Children come with foolishness already intact. They don't have to learn it. They already know. Folly is bound up in their heart, but, he says, discipline drives it from them. Now, to be sure, we need to say a couple of things about this. To be sure, we need to be careful about being overly severe in our discipline. And we need to be careful about being inconsistent in our discipline. 
so that our children never know whether we're going to blow up or let it go, and they just don't really know what to expect from parents. But, but having said all of that, we can't read these Proverbs, we can't read this text in Hebrews and not see that if we love our children, we're going to have to discipline them. Now, as I was thinking about this and preparing these, these thoughts, it occurred to me that we have just such a wide range of parents here. We have parents here who are parents of grown children, and we have parents of children that are upper teenagers, and then we have parents of children that are babies, just starting out, and then there are some of us that are in between all of that. And it seemed to me that as I was thinking about all the different ends of those spectrums, the real challenge of discipline is that it is so constant that it just wears us out. I mean, we correct and we correct and we teach and we teach and we talk and we work. And that's hard enough. Just the work of discipline as a parent is hard enough. But then, then we deal with children who almost always resist correction. And that's unpleasant. It's unpleasant for them. It's unpleasant for the parents. Because we love our children. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? We love them. We want them to be happy. And yet discipline makes them unhappy. So we have to fight them about the very thing that we're trying to do to help them. And then we get discouraged because we begin to see that our efforts at discipline take a long time to take root. You know, the correction that we make may take years before we see the fruit. In fact, sometimes we may never see it. And that's disheartening in and of itself. But then... On top of that, we have non-Christian friends and experts in the media who tell us that really what we're doing is wrong and we shouldn't be so hard on our children and disciplining them and working with them. I just want to take a moment and remind our parents that we discipline because we love and that we don't need to give up on that. That because we care about our children, we're going to correct them and we're going to challenge them and we're going to help them grow. It is not love to let my child to continue in destructive behaviors unchecked. It is not love to let him do harm to himself and to others. It is not love to allow him to develop habits of disrespect and dishonesty and unkindness. That's not love. Discipline is love. The second thing we learn in this text about discipline is that discipline is painful for the moment. I want you to read with me in Hebrews 12 and verse 9. Hebrews 12 and verse 9, it says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline, he says, has this short-term, long-term aspect to it. It is unpleasant for everyone involved in the short term. And you see that especially in verse 11. Look again at verse 11. He says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is a life principle, isn't it? We have to learn just in life that to pursue a long-term goal, it's going to require some short-term sacrifice, some unpleasantness in the short term. I, I think naturally of, of things like exercise and our health. If I want the long-term goal of being healthy, I'm going to have to make good short-term decisions that may be unpleasant, like when I see a donut store, and I might have to just drive by it. 
Not because that's fun. I find it fun to eat donuts. I guess not everybody does, but I do. But the short-term unpleasantness is worth the long-term goal. So what he is saying is there is a pain to that. And Christians particularly must have that perspective because Christians are looking forward to what has not yet appeared and we live in the short term where we may have to deny ourselves certain things in anticipation of something greater down the road. That is the nature of the Christian walk. So we are familiar with that idea. But it's also true with children. We make our children's lives harder when we discipline them. We challenge them. We make them mad. We restrict them. But as we do it, we teach them this principle. We teach them discipline makes you better. It may be painful, but the pain is for the moment. Did you notice the time words in verse 10? In verse 10 he says, They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you see that? The short term, long term, for a short time, for the moment. Discipline teaches us to look forward to the fruit discipline produces. When we've been trained, there is a blessing that is possible in no other way. Jesus sometimes talks about this. He talks about it as pruning. You know, the idea of pruning is where you cut back a tree or some kind of vine so that after you've cut it back, it grows even more. Well, the cutting back is painful, but there is a result it produces that is far greater than the pain. Discipline is painful, but it's only painful for the moment. Afterward, it yields a far better fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, parents, we must remember that our real goal in our parenting is character formation. And like all growth, that is going to hurt, but that doesn't mean we've done it wrong. Not at all. In fact, that means maybe we're on the right track because that's the nature of discipline. Do you remember this passage, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe this well illustrates the principle we're talking about, the the painful for the short time in anticipation of the future. Here you have train up a child in the way you should go. Do this now because you see forward, not because you really enjoy training children, but because in the future, even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You're going to give something to that child that will bless him in the future. And so it may be unpleasant in the moment, but look beyond the unpleasantness of the moment. What will happen? The image that helps me here is the image of constant pressure. You can change the way a tree grows by applying constant pressure, especially when it's young. Water can wear down rock with constant pressure. And there is a value in constant pressure. So as my kids grow, I see tendencies in their character. I see the good and bad of who they are. They're people just like I am. And I begin to apply pressure. I apply pressure to help them use their gifts in a way that's going to help other people. I apply pressure 
to help them to think about others. I apply pressure to help them smooth out some of the problems in their character. I apply pressure. And what gives me hope in that process of discipline is that it's only for the moment. And afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness when they have been trained by it. And I know that that's true. I am certain that that's true because I've seen it happen to me. I've seen God do that to me. Where he has put people and situations into my life that have changed me. And it was hard, but I'm thankful. And I've seen that because my parents did that for me. And I see the fruit of that in my life now. And I know that's true. Because I have seen other people do it to me. I've even on some occasions been able to inflict that kind of discipline on myself and produce the same benefits. And so, if I care about my children, if I love them, I'm willing to have painful time because I know it's only for the moment and it will bless them ultimately. The tragedy would be if I gave up and walked away, if I quit applying the pressure because the pain was too much in the moment. And so I gave up on the most important enterprise of parenting. The third thing I see in this text is that discipline teaches our kids about God. Look with me in verse 9, Hebrews 12 and verse 9. The text says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So the writer argues from our own parents that we respected their discipline. Of course, he's speaking in broad terms. We understand not everybody has a father. Not everybody has a father who's disciplining in this way. But, but the general experience he's saying is that we have parents, and we respected them because they were in charge of us. And he says... If we respect earthly fathers when they disciplined us, how much more should we respect God as our heavenly father when he disciplines us? Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. You see, their discipline was just the best they could do. And he says, we respected that even though it was just the best they could do. He says, it seemed best to them in verse 10. But how much more is God, who it's not just what he thinks is best for the moment, but he truly knows what's best for us. So we respect his judgment in the same way we learn to respect the judgment of our parents. His point, though, and this is what I'm trying to get at, his point relies on an experience that is common. He's talking about how parenting prepares us for a relationship with God. How much harder would it be for someone who had never experienced, verses 9 and 10, had never experienced discipline at home to suddenly experience God's discipline? That would be hard. To grow up without ever being told no, without ever being challenged, without ever having pain that then produced something good in the future, and now suddenly you deal with God, who that's the way He works. How difficult, how challenging would that be? And so you see what's happening is God expects parents to prepare their children by discipline for a relationship with a God who's going to continue to work on them. 
I want you to go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2. The book of Proverbs is written, written in this tone, particularly the first nine chapters or so, written in this tone of a father to a son. And there's a lot to learn, a lot to say about parenting from Proverbs. But I just want to show you this connection that, that Solomon makes in chapter 2 between teaching about parenting and teaching about God. Proverbs 2 and verse 1 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Do you notice the connection that is made in those verses? He says, if you'll listen to my words as your dad, and you'll receive my commands as your dad, and you'll listen to my wisdom and my understanding as your dad, then, verse 5, you'll understand the fear of the Lord. How's that work? I think it works in the same process we just described. That as children learn to respect and obey, to see the discipline and the care that their parents have for them, then they are ready for the transition to beginning to understand a respect for God who loves them. When they understand their parents' wisdom and understanding and respect that, then they can truly respect God's wisdom and understanding. That's the goal. The goal is not to get our children to just think we're great. The goal is to get our children to think that God is great and that the reason that we have done what we did is so that they can come to know God. Discipline teaches our kids about God. We have to listen to God by first listening to our parents. That's how that process begins. And kids learn something about God from that discipline too. For example, parents are where kids learn that discipline does not mean I don't love you. That sometimes we can be frustrated with each other over a behavior or a situation. And that's not the end of the relationship. Where do we learn that first? We learn that at home, but we need that when we talk to God. That sometimes God's going to have problems with something we do, and sometimes we're going to struggle with God. And yet that doesn't mean that there's not love there. Parents teach kids that discipline is essential for me being the best me. That I'm not going to be what I should be without having discipline, both self-discipline and sometimes discipline that comes through others. And that's something I need for my relationship with God. Parents teach their kids through discipline that there is more to life than themselves. There's more to life than pleasure. There's more to life than the moment. And the way those lessons are driven home is through discipline. Those are lessons they will take into their relationship with God. Parents teach kids that discipline is the way God works. Because that is what God does, isn't it? God challenges us. God forces us to grow. God calls us out sometimes. Sometimes God puts us in situations where we have no choice but to grow. And sometimes that causes us to be angry with God. And to be frustrated with the situations that we're in. And yet, that is the nature of discipline that we can learn first 
at home. I want to remind our parents that this is always the goal. I mentioned character formation a moment ago. Our goal in teaching our children is always so that they end up knowing about God, prepared for a real relationship with God by our parenting. Teaching, discipline, example, I want to show them this is what it means to walk with God on a daily basis. I can't believe for my kids. I can't do it. But I can make it so that the path between them and God is not full of obstacles and weeds and deeply entrenched habits that they're going to have to overcome that I have let grow up in my parenting. My goal is not that my kids will grow up to be famous, that they'll conquer academia or that they'll conquer the sports world or that they'll conquer the government. My goal is that my kids grow up prepared to know God. And I cannot do that without disciplining them. So, to our parents, I want to offer this encouragement. I want to encourage you, and I speak as a fellow parent, as you know, keep sowing those seeds. Don't stop. I know sometimes you get tired. I get tired too. Go to bed a little earlier and keep sowing those seeds. Keep sowing in faith. Keep applying the pressure. Keep looking forward to the character that you know your kids need. Keep pushing them toward that. When you see them growing toward that, celebrate it. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Keep preparing them for life. And especially keep preparing them for a relationship with God. Would you pray with me about it? Our God and Father, we are so thankful to you. We're thankful that we've had this time to open your word, to think about our role as parents. Father, we know that we are flawed and weak. That sometimes our judgment is not what it should be. We know that sometimes we fall short of your expectations for us as parents. Sometimes we make mistakes. Father, we're well aware of our weaknesses and our struggles. But Father, we come to you because we see in you the perfect Father. We come to you because we know that amazingly you're willing to use us anyway. We know that we can be forgiven of our failings in you. And we know that you can work through us to reach a new generation. And for this, Father, you deserve the praise. Father, as a group of parents, we need your help. And I pray that you'll help us to have the strength and the courage, the wisdom and foresight to continue to work on our children, to teach them, to correct them, to challenge them, and to shape them into the kind of people that will one day come to you, continue in relationship with you. Father, we pray for your help and your blessing in this as we know we cannot do this alone. And Father, we pray for our children. We pray that you'll bless each one of them. We pray that you'll help them as they grow to not just grow in body and mind, 
but to grow in the spiritual things, to grow in love and joy and peace, to grow in the qualities of Jesus so that they can reflect your image. Father, we pray for them that we as a community can encourage them and guide them and teach them so that they'll draw closer to you. This is our earnest prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the gospel and the call of Jesus. Jesus who invites us to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And if you are in that number and you know that you are in need of the salvation of Jesus, the blood of Jesus applied to your sins, we have this time that we have set aside to invite you as we sing to encourage you to come to the front and to let that be known so that we can help you to be right with God. If there's anything that we can do to help you to do that, to be baptized into Christ, if you'd like to talk and study more about that, if there's any way we can help, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.